After a few days to let it all sink in and to reflect on what was the inauguration of the Mark Adams era, we are here to review the Texas Tech basketball 2021-22 season coming up on today's Locked On Texas Tech. You are Locked On Texas Tech, your daily podcast on the Texas Tech Red Raiders, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Texas Tech, a member of the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, thanks for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. If you have not subscribed to our channel, please do so now. We got a bunch of new subscribers over the weekend. Very grateful for that. And we hope that you'll keep tuning in there. I'm Ryan Mainville. I cover Texas Tech for the Dallas Morning News. I'm joined by Emery Lida, a longtime Texas Tech analyst, writer, and podcaster. Today, we are viewing Mark Adams' first season at the helm, holistically taking a look at some of the games that were won and lost this year, how the offense performed, how the defense performed, and just baking it all in, man, because we haven't really taken that step back and, and viewed everything as a whole yet. But today's episode is brought to you by Stat Hero. Stat Hero is reshaping the way that you play fantasy sports. Dozens of house-based games to play daily. No sharks, funky props, just your skill versus the lineups you choose. Sign up today at stathero.com slash locked on. Emery, I know that we talked a lot in the offseason as we were launching this podcast about expectations and where this Texas Tech team might wind up. If somebody were to come up to you and say, you know, late October and tell you, hey, this Texas Tech team is going to be in the Sweet 16, battling until the final seconds against Coach K and Duke, I mean, like, what would be your initial reaction? Oh, I would have absolutely taken it in a heartbeat. I mean, you're talking about a team that came into the season as roughly a fourth, fifth, sixth best team in the Big 12, no matter how you look at depending on who you looked at and what sort of polls you're looking at. And to be able to really come right down to the wire against a team as stacked as Duke and know that you had a chance to potentially go further, I mean, obviously it hurts now to look at, but looking at it from the lens of October and even, I know people look back to April where you had like such a depleted roster, but just looking back even before the start of the season, I think to be able to get that far and have a chance against a team as good as Duke and be right there with them, I mean, it's something you can really take a lot of positives from. And I feel like if you had asked any Texas Tech fan heading into the season, if that's something they would have taken, majority of them would have taken it. And the people that won it, for the most part, I feel like would be delusional. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty insane turnaround for you to be, you know, losing in round 32 last year to Arkansas at the final seconds. And then you come back after just a crazy offseason where your entire program um, seem to to change in the mold, and you're in the Sweet 16 playing against arguably one of the most talented teams in the country against a historic coach, and you're playing until the final seconds. I think you've got to take that. Like I was projecting Tech as fifth or sixth in the conference um, at the beginning of the year, and that wasn't so much a knock on Tech as it was this conference is just good, and I think it was better than I thought it was going to be, and yet Texas Tech still managed to finish third. So just absolutely successful season from Mark Adams and his staff. 
um, pretty much exceeded every expectation. But looking at the season as a whole, there are obviously a lot of ups and downs as the season went on. But let's start on a high note and talk about uh, what was potentially Mark Adams' best win of the season. This is all subjective. And so, Emery, I'm going to let you take a stab at this first. All right. Well, there's one win that I feel like everyone's going to be talking about. And that would be February 1st against Texas at home. But I'm going to go with the win that I feel like really adjusted the expectations for this season. And that would be the road win over Baylor right after the Kansas game at home. Obviously, you'd come off a ranked win over the weekend against Kansas while playing shorthanded. You went into Waco as a significant underdog to the number one team in the country. And being able to knock off Baylor without TJ Shannon I felt like really showed that you can play at a high level. This wasn't a fluke for Tech to knock off Kansas and then come back, come right back 72 hours later and knock off Baylor. And so for me, the Baylor win at the early part of the season really sort of adjusted expectations. It sort of set the ground for Tech to be a top 15 team throughout the season. And we've seen it in the past. We've seen, obviously, the 2018 team had that big win in Lawrence that sort of catapulted them into the top 10. The 2019 team had... Kind of a run down the stretch sort of encapsulated with a win against kansas and at home but really like that big win over baylor just sort of brought together the expectation some and even if it wasn't the biggest from a moral standpoint like looking at the two texas games obviously there's a lot to unpack there and a lot of emotion in that one but just being able to beat baylor sort of beat the number one team on the road prove that the kansas game wasn't a fluke i think it set you up for really successful Big 12 stretch and established Tech as a main contender in the conference and in the country. Yeah, that Baylor win in Waco would have been my top choice before Saturday night. And I think like hindsight is 2020, um, but seeing Kansas playing in the national championship game tonight, like I've just got to go with that, with that win over Kansas in the USA. Um, I, I like understand like it was, it was a close contest, but aside from the win, I just felt like it was such a perfectly executed game plan. Like, I, I don't know in all my years of covering Texas Tech if I've ever watched a better coached game than that game. Like, it was just executed to perfection. Um, I mean, the way your defense played, I think you, you got bailed out a couple of times on Kansas missing some open three-pointers. But overall, it just felt like you were winning the chess match every single possession. And it was really, really beautiful basketball to watch. And, I mean, we're not going to do best loss because, I mean, moral victories are kind of lame. But now, like, yeah, you've got to look at that 91-94 double overtime loss in Lawrence as easily um, your best loss on the season. I mean, it took an All-American going nuclear for, for them to go away with a win in that game. And so, yeah, I mean, hindsight sure does prove to me at least that that Kansas game was the best win of the season, although um, I agree with you in that Baylor kind of felt like the inflection point. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm really hopeful that history looks back on that Tech game in Lawrence, similar to how people view the Buddy Heald game, the number one versus number two OU Kansas game that went to triple overtime. Because obviously it's not quite going to be as historical as that because it was a game of the century type game. But that game truly was for me. I mean, I know, again, we're not talking about moral victories, but just watching as an objective basketball fan was one of the best Tech games I've ever watched. And especially in the last decade and just seeing Tech go toe-to-toe with Kansas in all three matches, I think that's a really good point. And certainly, I mean, Kansas has established themselves as one of the best teams in the nation, obviously playing for a chance to the national championship. So 
I mean, for Tech to be able to really play toe-to-toe with them throughout the season is impressive. But if we're talking about the worst loss, I think that one's, for me, I look at the worst loss, and I think it's more of a missed opportunity, and that would be the loss at TCU at the end of the season. I think that one, if you would have come out of Fort Worth as a victor there, with the way that a lot of the teams around Tech dropped games that weekend, I think that was really kind of what took the wind out of the sails of a two seed, and it kind of created a domino effect because had you gotten that game, had you been able to close it out, you A, would have had more confidence for the last two games of the regular season, which were a struggle, and B, you probably would have established yourself right on the edge of the two line, and with the way that Tech closed out the season and getting some big wins in the Big 12 tournament, other teams dropping in their own conference tournaments, that would have been the difference between a two seed and a three seed, might not have had to face Duke in the Sweet 16, might have had a different road. I mean, there's so many different permutations there, but I just think it was a big missed opportunity and probably the one that stung the most for me. Yeah, definitely that TCU loss just with like what felt was building up to the final stretch of the season definitely hurts. I think I've got to go the Kansas State loss on the road. Um, it, it just feels like a team that you were a lot better than. And I, I think that's the case, too, with TCU. But TCU felt like a lot more of a respectable team, at least at that point in the season, to, to be you know in a close game with, to just get throttled by Kansas State and Manhattan. Um, I mean, you, you got completely out-schemed. Like, that's what happened. They completely managed to take your offense away in the second half. It was just a really, really frustrating basketball game to watch. And, and I mean, you were you were steaming. Like you're coming off a, a win over Kansas and Baylor, and then you, you just absolutely destroy Oklahoma State at home. You're thinking, all right, if if we can get past Kansas State, we've got an Iowa State team that we've proved we can hang with at home, and then West Virginia who stinks. Like you're you're looking at what is that? Five straight wins there, six straight wins. If you can manage to beat Kansas State, I I just man, it feels like that's one that kind of stumped momentum, and you could have gone into Lawrence with six straight wins and that that feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity um in april yeah i think one other one that really comes to mind is the providence game and i know it ended up being relatively inconsequential because providence was really good this season from a resume standpoint but i feel like that one was one where if you're just looking about games that you should have won like there were so many missed opportunities in that game i mean providence went like eight nine minutes without scoring in the half court in the first half managed to stay alive due to free throws and transition opportunities and you just kind of crumpled down the stretch but I mean yeah I mean for me obviously I look at it from a momentum standpoint the TCU loss I felt like was really crushing the K-State and Oklahoma losses were probably the most bewildering from a schematic standpoint and then obviously I mean the Duke loss in the tournament has to be the most heartbreaking in terms of just looking at it from a long-term standpoint, because I really do feel like if you could have gotten by Duke, the path was there to get to the championship game and get a rematch against Kansas. Yeah. It's nuts now to think about the fact that you only lost by four to Providence with Bryson Williams going one of nine from the field just feels impossible to sit here and think about now. And I remember after that game, uh, I was calling for him to be out of the rotation. So uh, things changed, man. Yeah, it, it was a crazy end of the season, and uh, you had some bad losses, but you also had some very, very good wins. We're going to take a look at each side of the ball, starting with the offense, but first a quick word from Stat Hero. I love March Madness and bracket contests, but I can't remember the last time I actually went deep and won any money. I'm hedging my bets this year with Stat Hero. 
Stat Heroes NCAA single pickums pit the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between fantasy and sports gambling. Start focusing on the players you know best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads, long odds, or funky props. Stat Hero gives you the advantage, resulting in their gamers winning four times more often. Why? Because Stat Hero eliminates the mystery about who or what you are going up against. Stat Hero is the easiest and fastest way to get your sports action fix. The Simple Sleep gameplay will have you playing in minutes. This is what Daily Fantasy was meant to be, Stat Hero. Thanks again for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Here, recapping the Texas Tech 21-22 season. Let's take a look at the offensive side of the ball because I felt like a lot of people went into this season um, with with confidence in Mark Adams and what he could do on the defensive end of the floor. Uh, I'm not sure that anybody would have projected them to be quite as good as they ended up being, um, but I think the confidence was there on the offensive end, but where a lot of people had question marks, including myself, was the offensive system and just seeing how it worked. Um, my two biggest concerns that I talked about um, extensively in the offseason was ball handling. Uh, how are you going to run your offense? Who's going to be the guy that kind of initiates offense for you? And three-point shooting. Where are you going to generate shots from? Emery, looking back now, we just watched, what is it, 30 seven games from this team do your concerns from the offseason kind of line up from what you saw over the course of those games yeah in a really strange way I feel like the entire season you started out with the concern of who's going to be the ball handler the guy that can kind of initiate the offense the most and where are you going to get outside shooting and we came into the very last game of the season against Duke with how are we going to exploit them in the pick and roll on guys being able to really handle the ball well, get pull-up shots and get good opportunities and can Tech shoot well enough to take advantage of some of the perimeter lapses that Duke has. So you started game one with questions and you ended game 37 with those same questions. And in a lot of ways, I mean, it kind of evolved throughout the season. There were guys that I felt like shot better than expectation. Obviously, Bryson Williams becoming a really good three-point shooter on medium volume was pretty impressive. And then you had, obviously, guys like TJ had their spurts throughout the season. Obviously, TJ ended up really strong down the stretch. And you also got a little bit of production from guys outside, like Kevin McCullough and Donna Storms and Davion Warren that were kind of off and on through the season. But the shooting just really never materialized as a consistent weapon. I think O'Banner having sort of some slumps throughout the season was part of the issue on that. But certainly, I mean, just in general, the spacing ended up being an issue that we kind of expected coming into the season and continued to be. And the ball handling, I really think it ended up being not as much of an issue down the stretch because Tech really improved their ball handling over the course of the season. And even though the turnovers kind of read their ugly head over the over the end of the season, you were still able to get really good ball handling from guys like Arms and McCullough. And the passing was something that I felt like was better than I expected coming into the season. So it's weird because like the two main issues were the same as I expected, but just not really in the same ways that I thought they might end up being an issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm in complete agreement with you. That last point that you made is exactly what I think. I mean, you did not really have a guy step up this season that felt like your true point guard. Like you just didn't have that available to you. And I think that that hurt you in certain games, especially against Duke and not really having a guy that could 
be really aggressive forcing the switch. Like at, at times it really felt like the only guy that could do that on this roster was TJ Shannon. Um, but in terms of overall ball handling, uh, I I could not have projected Kevin McCuller to play as good as point guard as, as he did. I, I don't think that it was perfect, um, but I think that he played a really high basketball IQ season. He protected the ball, traditionally made the right passes, got to the rim, and created open looks. I, I wasn't sure about the projections of him being like a guy that could get you five or six assists per night, and that definitely wasn't the case. But in terms of being a serviceable ball handler, I think you got that from him. Uh, I think TJ Shannon made tremendous strides from where he was last year as a ball handler. And then I never could have imagined that Adonis Arms would be as reliable as he was um, as a primary ball handler. I mean, he led your team in assists by nearly 20 this season. It's just pretty phenomenal what he did. And obviously part of that is availability. Like he played in every single game this season. Um, But I think the other side of it too is just, he was really good and it was it was an experience it was dizzying at times to watch Adonis Arms play basketball but I mean you look at the the end of the season for him and it was really consistent and so overall I feel like you didn't really find that true point guard like Malik Wilson was was fourth in total assist this season that guy is last in your rotation that cannot happen like every season and you think that you're going to find consistent success, but from the guys that I feel like did step up, especially, you know, arms, McCuller, TJ Warren, uh, you found something really, really, uh, serviceable there. I don't think that it was elite, but it worked for you and it didn't feel like a true kink in your offense. And so, I mean, props to Mark Adams and this staff for, for figuring out something that worked by no means was it perfect, but I do think it worked. Emery, let's go ahead and let's give our grades for this Texas Tech offense, finished 147th in the country in points. Um, That's good for fourth in the Big 12, Uh, third in field goal percentage, second in two-point percentage, 10th, dead last in the the Big 12 in three-point percentage. I'm going to go C+. Um, I kind of want to err on the side of a a B or like a B-minus, but I feel like your offense became a little too reliant on the post at times. And if there hadn't been those couple of meltdowns late in the season, you know, against TCU, against Oklahoma State, where you could find consistent offense outside of Bryson Williams, I would feel very, very good about giving this team a B minus a B. Like, no question about it. But in terms of holistically the shooting, um, the three-point shooting specifically, your reliance on the post at times, your lack of a true uh, point guard, score first guard, and then just inconsistencies at the free throw line. It doesn't feel great, but I think a C plus is where I have to settle. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to grade a little bit on a curve here because I just look at the roster coming into the season and you don't have any real ball handlers. Like your mo- the most experienced ball handlers you have on the team coming into the year are Miley Wilson, who ended up being at the end of the rotation and Davion Warren, who was basically a loose cannon at Hampton. So you have both of those guys who were mid-majors and you had Kevin McCullough who hadn't played that position since high school. You know, you had Adonis Arms who, from what I could see, had never been a consistent ball, primary ball handler at any of his previous stops, which is nuts to think about. You had TJ Shannon who had struggled in that role at times in the last couple of years. And just in general, like you didn't have a 
reliable ball handler. The shooting outside of O'Banner was a massive question mark. You really had to play two bigs a lot of the time, which kind of contradicts a lot of what the faster-paced offense and sort of the pace and space that we see a lot in, in college basketball today would sort of dictate. And really considering all of that and also considering that you had a, a roster that kind of came together, sort of different pieces fitting in and weren't, you weren't sure how that was going to happen, to end up in the top 50 and adjust an offense and be consistently productive. I mean, it was ugly at times. I'm not a big fan of the post-up offense that in the overall reliance that Tech had down the stretch. And certainly I do think you have to dock them for some of the inconsistencies and the fact that they would go eight, nine minutes without scoring in the half court. But at the same time, like some of those games, like against Kansas, you mentioned both games against Kansas in the regular season. Obviously, even in the tournament, you had a really nice game against Montana State. And even against Duke, I don't think your offense was the reason you lost. Like, this offense, for me, exceeded expectations. And I can't grade them too high because, obviously, the numbers aren't all that pretty. But I'll go with a B because I think that, overall, considering what you had to work with, considering the fact that you had to deal with injuries and sort of guys going in and out of the rotation, I think it's a fair grade. Yeah, maybe I'm being too harsh. And and even like if you're asking me to judge based on off-season expectations, like yeah, I'm going B plus probably, just because like, dude, I was projecting Sardar Calhoun as a like a perennial starter because I thought Texas Tech was going to need shooting that bad, which he still ended up seventh on the team in three pointers made, which just feels ridiculous. But like you got it done. <laughs> it wasn't pretty at times, but you got it done. You consistently found ways to beat elite teams. And so, yeah, I think looking on expectations, it's definitely fair and injuries. That's a really good point that I didn't even think about whenever I gave them my C plus all things told, uh, you were very adaptable and you managed to put a winnable offense on the floor every night. And so I think that's really big, but this is a Texas tech podcast. I know that everybody wants to talk defense and we are certainly going to get into it. But first, a quick word from Bet Online. After months of playing, college basketball has determined the top two teams for this year's national championship coming tonight. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. From all the latest odds, contests, and player performance props, you name it, BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, so the offense, I think it's fair to say, um, exceeded expectations or at least put you in a position to win games every single night. But this Texas Tech defense that we saw this year, something else, man. It was really, really special. Uh, you you finished first in Kempom in defense. Uh, I don't like. I don't think North Carolina or Kansas are even close to that. So, um, regardless of of how Monday night goes, you you shouldn't have that skewed too much. Forty um, first in the country in steals per game. You didn't really have a true shot blocker, um, and yet you managed to just consistently outscore guys in the paint and limit the amount of points that opponents scored in the paint. Emory, I know that it might become like habitual for us as Texas Tech um, viewers or if you're a fan or if you're an analyst to just kind of get used to defense. 
But am I wrong in just thinking that like we have not seen a level of defensive play like this since 1819? I thought 2018-2019 was catching lightning in a bottle with the personnel that you had and just having an elite level shot blocker and Tariq Owens and just the personnel you had on the perimeter. And yet, in a lot of ways, this defense, I wouldn't necessarily say was better than that, which is arguably one of the best college basketball defenses of all time. But there's an argument to be made that in certain situations, it was more efficient and probably a better, more well-kept defense. And certainly throughout the season, the ability to consistently switch, the switchability of this team was unheard of. Like, you had teams that were trying to take advantage of one through five switches, and it just was not working. You had teams constantly trying to get you into the paint and continuously produce and i've never seen a team without a real shot blocking presence outside of whenever daniel bacho got minutes i've never seen a team that good at being able to defend the paint without that and it was just incredible the help discipline the fact that you had so many talented perimeter defenders i mean i mean at one point in the season you could make the argument that kevin mcculler wasn't a top three defender on your team through the way that he was playing, and yet he was still semifinalist for National Defensive Player of the Year. Like Individually, the guys had really good seasons, but then collectively as a team, the ability to keep teams out of the paint, to have sound defensive rotations, which I thought was going to be a little bit of an issue after the first couple of games, and just all in all continuously be dominant on the defensive side of things, it's incredible. I mean, we looked at it coming into the season. We saw a lot of potential with the roster that Tech had on the defensive end. But to be able to put it all together and just consistently play high-level defensive basketball, it's incredible. And, I mean, it just speaks to how good of a coach Mark Adams is and also how well the players bought in and were able to play together. Because I feel like with a two-big lineup as well, it's easy to get hamstrung by that. So to be able to consistently mix and match pieces on the one through three and still have a really effective defense is just really impressive. I mean, like, it's crazy to think about that that was such a big topic of conversation for us in the offseason. It was like, how on earth is Texas Tech going to run this jumbo lineup, like, in the Big 12? Like, they're going to get it torched. Would be impossible. It, like, it wouldn't have been far-fetched to think so, though. Like, we just, we don't see it. And then you put this lineup out on the floor. Bryson Williams moves with guards so much better than we ever could have thought. And even, like better than what was on film at UTEP. Like, it was not great. We were kind of talking ourselves into it. Marcus Santos Silva becomes, like, the most absurd defensive big man at, like, his size that I've ever watched play basketball. Just an insane player. And then you just have gadgets, like, everywhere on the court. Just dudes that are creating chaos. Like, one of my favorite things this season became like watching a national broadcast of Texas Tech and like listening to the announcers. Like in that Duke Texas Tech game, Jim Nance was like, what is this defense? Like, what am I watching right now? Like these dudes, like in the in those first like four minutes, he was like, how does anybody score points against this team? And it's just hilarious to kind of see the initial impression that this team made on people that did not sit and watch them every night because it was rare what you did this season. Like it was very, very rare. And man, just the the points in the paint thing will just like never, never fail to leave me amazed. Like the fact that you did that as consistently as you did, it's just absurd. And and it won you so many games. Um yeah. I'm A plus all the way. Like there's like if if I wanted to be really picky, 
I would say give me give me a shot blocker on this team. But even then, like it, it did not hurt you. You had like two people score more points in the paint against you this season. It, it was just insane. Every single night, Texas Tech's defense did something that I never could have predicted. I'm going to give them an A. I'm just going to hold off on the plus because I really do feel like, the for one, the defense was phenomenal. I don't think there's any doubt about that. One of the best defenses we've seen, certainly arguably top two or three in the nation, I would say the best defense in the country. Certainly the metrics would back that up. I think the only thing that really sort of is going to haunt me a little bit about this defense is that you had a tendency at times to kind of had inopportune lapses. I think against Duke, obviously down the stretch was probably the worst defense that you had played in a while. And I know I'm not one to use one game sample sizes, but that, that really hurt in a way that the probably the biggest strength of your team ended up being a weakness and that Duke was able to exploit switches and really get good looks and find ways to score against you. And then you also had the same thing kind of come up in the big 12 tournament where Kansas was just able to play the tempo that really suited them and over time just kind of wore you down from within the within the three-point line. So you had those two games, and then you also had a couple of random games throughout the season, like Oklahoma, where they knocked in 13 threes, or even like the game in Allen Fieldhouse, where Agbaji just went absolutely nuts. So like there's some of it's just down to individual performance and luck, but at the same time, I feel like if there's one difference between this team and the 2019 team, it's that consistently you had just a few more of those lapses and it sucks because I feel like if we were any other school doing this, if there was no precedent of what the 2018, 2019 team did, it would be so easy to give this team an A plus on defense. But I just think it was just a slight step behind, but still an incredible season. And still, I mean, you're going to miss a lot of the gadget players that you had. And I mean, the ability for guys like Davion Warren to jump passing lanes and potentially, I mean, depending on what happens with TJ Shannon as well. I mean, like you have, so many good perimeter defenders and then also the bigs being switchable. Marcus Santos Silva, like you mentioned, his evolution this season into being a one a one through five type switcher, considering what we saw last year, is nuts. And that's what allowed you, I feel like, to be able to run the two big lineup with Santos Silva and Bryson Williams really taking incredible leaps as perimeter defenders. So I'll give them an A, but with a permutation that is really just down to me being nitpicky on it. So all in all, really good season. I mean, defensively, you have to say it was incredible. But I think overall as a whole, you add in the offense, you add in the defense. And, I mean, this was way better than I think you could have anticipated because you're going to have a hard time denying the Tech was a top 15 team throughout the season. Resume-wise, that backs it up. Certainly from the metrics, you have Tech as a top five team per T-rank, top 10 per Kim Palm. You've got all of these things go- these things going for you. So, I mean, overall, I think if I'm putting a grade on the overall season, it's going to be an A. Again, going to keep away from the A-plus because we're not playing on Monday night. We're not getting a round four against Kansas. But at the end of the day, it's hard not to be really excited about what this program did and what it can do going forward. I respect it, man. How about an impossible trivia time to send us out of here? Let's do it. Three players in the Big 12 this season – averaged at least 25 steals or didn't average had at least 25 steals and 25 blocks this season who are the three let's see um is one marcus santo silva one is marcus santo silva okay i would say Mike wilson but i don't know if he got the 25 blocks 
Nope. Let's see. Um, who else in the Big 12? Is Cisse up there? Nope. Oh, Savoyan. Got to be a Savoyan. He's no, one. actually. He's not? One of them is playing on Monday night. Okay. It's not Christian Braun, is it? It's Christian Braun. And then... The other one, the- Texas Tech swept. He is a, a so-called first... Oh. First round draft prospect. Jeremy Sohan. No. Oh, Matthew Meyer. Matthew, <laughs> Matthew Meyer. Meyer, man. Oh, God. It's a very odd list, but uh, Marcus Santos Silva is on it, so I am proud to to use it. And he played significantly less minutes than either of these guys did. Like he played about a third of the minutes Braun has played, and about two hundred minutes less than Meyer. So, pretty insane season for Marcus Santos Silva. Yeah, I think the cool thing there is I don't think my leak was all that far away from hitting that threshold. Like if no, you look, I'm looking at it right now. He's got 38 steals, 17 blocks. Eight more blocks, close enough. Yeah, so pretty pretty absurd. I mean, I don't know how many people averaged 30 or had more than 35 blocks and 15 steals, but that's a play index for us to dig into after this episode. For right now, thank you all for joining us on our season recap um, I know that this kind of feels like we're we're putting a, a cap on the 21-22 season. But this is really just the beginning of our content um, to kind of analyze and review what we saw from Mark Adams and company in the first year. We're going to be going through player performance reviews, um, obviously breaking down any news that happens with this team and this roster over the next couple of weeks. So I promise you there will be plenty for you to keep busy and keep tuning in. Um, Be sure that you follow our podcast feed wherever you get podcasts. Be sure that you are subscribed on YouTube. Keep up with us on Twitter. You can follow me at our mainville LBK. You can follow Emory at eraser41. And you can follow the official Locked On Texas Tech Twitter page at Locked On TTU. In the meantime, thanks for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked On NFL Draft. Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker bring the NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you tomorrow.